0: Today's episode of Mother Folklore was made possible by supporters on Patreon, including Kweeva Tiernan and James Murphy, Karamil Mohagrev, Kweeva, August James. Through Patreon, listeners are able to support the continued production of the Mother Folklore podcast and allow us to get the resources that we need to continue bringing the show that you love. And we will also be bringing out additional bonus content for our patreon supporters you can find out more on patreon the link is in our show notes and now the show <laughs> Of Podcast Network, but not from Heads of Studios this week. Welcome to Mother Folklore, the quarantine sessions. I'm Derek O'Shea. Something we've discussed on this podcast a number of times is hybrid Irish identities, the, the complexity of Irish identity, and our relationship with the diaspora, if that word is even appropriate. And but we haven't had it yet, is a person from the Irish diaspora in in England to actually tell their side of the story. And I just happened this week to have in contact with a a phd student in the university of newcastle who is actually did, doing her research on that very thing welcome to mother folklore neve lear hello <laughs> how are you getting on neve
1: i'm good thank you how are you
0: i'm doing very well and thank you very much i know what the late stages of a phd are like in terms of stress and panic <laughs> and all those things so i'm you've taken some time to come and have a chat with us today
1: I mean, it's lovely to have an excuse to not be looking at a word document. To be perfectly honest.
0: God, yeah, the, the amount of procrastinating people do at the, the late stages of postgraduate research, as um, as Eimear Duffy, a regular on this show, would I say, she did so much hoovering when she was finishing her <laughs> masters.
1: As we say, my house has never been cleaner.
0: That's right, you can always tell. <laughs> when that went, I, sometimes when, when I was writing my my first and second book, when I came home, if my wife came home and looked around at the house and it was tidy, she said, you didn't do any writing today, did you?
1: <laughs> my flatmates are saying she'll come back and they'll be like reorganised bookshelves and she'd be like...
0: If <laughs> you've got a deadline or something. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I think I I briefly tried to um, color coordinate our um our bookshelf. I uh, have all the red books in one shelf and all the green ones in another. And yeah, that, that didn't go down too well.
1: It's very visually oh. appealing.
0: It, it, I think it is, but then I, I guess a part of me doesn't like the idea of having a cookbook next to you know kind of my um you know um New Yorker book of the '40s and how we're having mixing those things. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. You got to strike a balance between thematic and. And yeah, I don't know, my wife's law books are all on the law shelf. We don't touch that.
1: (laughs) Wise, very wise. (laughs) I think so.
0: So Niamh, tell us about your, what your, tell us what your PhD title is, if you may.
1: Okay, so my working PhD title is um, Passport Paddies, second generation Irishness in London in Brexit, Britain. Um, so that's essentially it's pretty much what I'm looking at is uh, how people are negotiating and experiencing second and third generation Irish identity um, within the context of uh, Brexit, because that's kind of an un- unavoidable reality of the UK right now, unfortunately.
0: And this is something I suppose that, uh, yeah, it's we've, we've discussed before the, uh, the uh, how... Um, and how irish identity is shaped partly but largely in, in some ways by diaspora aspects of, or give a chance to talk about ireland as a as a unit in a way something we discussed in our episode about the pogues and this is something my father used to say that if the pogues were actually from ireland they'd be from a county or a city they'd be a dublin band or a cork band instead of being an irish band and being from london freed them to be that
1: mm-hmm. to be more like representative i guess
0: exactly the, the actual the ability to be just from Ireland in a way or to actually speak and in that sense was is something that is yeah, that maybe that diaspora experience makes possible
1: um yeah I think so I think I feel very proudly from Mayo <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> um but that's mainly my mum doing but I think like as you say that like, when I'm speaking to people it's not like oh where are you from it's like I'm I'm, I'm Irish um mm-hmm. There's there, there's no need to go into the specifics of it, uh, which I guess is kind of nice because I just say like it is like a very Irish thing to be like oh like where are you from as in like which county which town because I probably know someone who knows someone. Um,
0: I bet that's happened a few times, all right.
1: <laughs> so genuinely, I'm not I'm not even joking you. I was walking, I was outside Morrison's in Newcastle, mm. and someone was um, he had a petition. Something to do with, like, British imperialism. And I was like, sign me right up for anti-British imperialism. I'm (laughs) Mm. all over that. And we just got chatting and he saw, it was um, during the Six Nations, I had my uh, rugby jersey on. Mm. And I had a clad around my neck and whatever. And he said, oh, are you from Ireland? And I was like, oh, you know, my mum is. And he's like, whereabouts? And I was like, mayo. He was like, you're joking. (coughs) Where in mayo? Mm. And I was like, oh, Swinford? And he was like, no. (laughs) And his dad went to school with my mum.
0: Of course he did. Obviously he did. Because he just met an Irish person on the street in in Newcastle. Of course he's his father went to school with your mum.
1: Obviously. Obviously he went to school with my mum. I've been in his his family's shop multiple times. What's that? Small world. It's a very small world in the Irish diaspora, (laughs) let me tell you.
0: It certainly is. I mean, can you tell me a bit about growing up as an Irish heritage um, person and as a millennial in, in the United Kingdom?
1: Um.
0: Well, when do you start? Fe- when did you feel most and least Irish?
1: I think for me, um, I mentioned the Six Nations. I think for me, the Six Nations was like the beginning of my journey into Irishness. Um, mm. I'm from Bedfordshire, which is like a quite rural, very sort of white British area. Yeah. And my mum was the, the only sort of like Irish person around. And it was very difficult for us to access like Irish news or who wanted to watch the GAA. Like we had to... Travel for thirty minutes to go to a pub to watch, to watch the match or whatever was happening. And so when we were watching the Six Nations, um, my family and like my friends' families would all get together and they'd watch Six Nations. And my mum would be the only Irish person. And so when it was Ireland versus England, um, she was sort of ganged up on (laughs) as the only Irish person. And so then I, like because of that, I was like, no, no, I support Ireland. Like I'll I'll take sides with my mum. And then, like that led into, like, I'd run up and down the road with a tricolour round my back if, if Ireland beat England. Or... <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, when I was, like, seven, eight years old, like, hmm. sprinting up and down the road with my tricolour on and, like, knocking on the neighbours' doors um, <laughs> because he was Welsh and Ireland had beat Wales. And, hmm. and I think that was, like, the beginning of my, like, expressing Irishness as, like, my dominant identity. Yeah. Um, and that sort of led me down this this big road, like, I mean, we talk about passports, like, I've always had an Irish passport, and I've always felt that that's made me more Irish than British, potentially, mm-hmm. even though I sound the way I do and I was born the way I, where I was, and that sort of stuff. So I think that was sort of it, and it's just got more and more... I feel like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, like, as you identify as Irish, you then get made more Irish. So, like, it's not even questioned anymore, particularly... Uh, Among, yeah, like, people I know. Like, it's just, I wander around banging on about Irishness and doing PhDs on Irishness, and that's just who I am now. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think also, like, my name, um, mm. like, people can't pronounce it.
0: I was about to ask about, um, how do your, um, your neighbours and peers handle Neve?
1: It's got a lot better recently. I think Neve has become much more popular in this country in the last 10 years. Um, okay. Like, I was teaching in a school... A couple of years ago. And there were three Neves in the year. Oh. Um, all spelled N I A M H as opposed to like N E E V E or whatever yes other ways you can spell it. And like when I was at school there was there was none. Like I knew no one. Um and so like it's definitely a bit more popular and a bit more common, but I just remember it there'd always be if there was like a substitute teacher doing the register, they'd be going through and then there'd just be a pause. <laughs> <laughs> and i'd just be like yeah i'm here like it's me or i'd get like naomi or nina you you, you <laughs> yeah no that's the one that really used to get me i'm like i, I get where you get and her from where is naomi like you've not even tried
0: <laughs> absolutely it's a that's a gas one because I, I think there's um there has often been a tendency and this comes on both sides on one level two to, to see an Irish name and to try and find the, the closest English equivalent. And, yeah. But also, that also goes both ways, and that's sometimes when people with English names want to Irish it up, like Roger Casement, I think it was uh, Rory McCosh, was suppose, uh, and they, they changed Roger to Rory, and those those names have no, no, no connection. No connection. Other than the fact that both begin with an R and a S, or Have at it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why not?
0: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so I presume you still get this in um, if you are visiting a a coffee establishment where people which have a tradition of writing their names on cups.
1: Yes, I get all sorts of fun things. I quite often just get Eve, like sometimes I even, depending on whether I'm willing to have a conversation about it, I'm Mm. like, I just say Eve because it's easier sometimes, which sounds so lazy, but there's just like, if you're catching a a 5am train, like there's just not the time. I just need my coffee like (laughs) I don't want to go into how you spell my name um and sometimes I get because my surname is Lear L-E-A-R yeah sometimes I get that that gets put as my first name and I I get Leah. oh yes and I'm like that's not like that's not even my name like my uh my breakdown cover came like that and I was like that's not my name (laughs) (laughs) I have to call you back and change that one
0: one of the fastest growing pop- popular names in Ireland is Fia, which mm-hmm. there's, there's two spellings, F-I-A-D-H and F-I-A. And I saw just in some baby naming forums and parenting forums, people talking about names they liked and how, why they like this one. And some were saying, I like Fia as a name, but I'm just worried that if my um, my daughter goes to London, people are going to think it's Fia, uh, but pronounce badly and phonetically. Mm-hmm as in just the uh that the th should be spot that way and people thought that that the actual having the silent th at the end almost kind of made it safer that and also there wasn't an abbreviation of sophia
1: yeah yeah i i think also like i've always found it to be a really positive thing like i know that sounds bizarre but it always like it's a good conversation starter like you're going into an interview or someone and someone's like oh i just want to check like how do you say your name mm-hmm. um and then you automatically get into like a chat i'm like oh well this is my heritage and it sort of breaks the ice yeah um so i wouldn't change it Um, i think a lot of people would see it as a negative thing like people not being able to pronounce your name but other than the 5am coffee is like I quite like it.
0: <laughs> uh, and, and you're right too. It's a great name. So, and when you w- w- did go over to visit Mayo and you, and the, the cousins in Ireland, how did you find that your Irish identity was was acknowledged or understood in Ireland?
1: Ireland is a, a weird place, like mm. in the sense that, um, in many ways, the diaspora is encouraged and. um as you say, like even when you talk about like citizenship and the fact that it's set up so that people of Irish ancestry can access their Irish Irish citizenship and Irish passports yes and then i would go over and it's something that's been echoed by by many of my participants who've said like that the people who are most likely to contest their irishness are their irish family yes um and not necessarily even in a something that would seem malicious um but just in those little those little ways like so like for me me and my brother, out of our, like, group of um, cousins, um, we have other groups of cousins in the UK, but they've all got, like, two Irish parents, uh, whereas I have a British father. And um, we'd be called um. the Brits. Mm. And it's like, why are we the Brits? And the, the, <laughs> the cousins from London aren't the Brits. Mm-hmm. Um, or I got called a tan, and I, I didn't even know what a tan was. Like, I was like, I'm not tan. I don't, I don't understand what, you, what you're banging on about. And I had to mm-hmm. go and Google it. Um, because obviously we don't get taught about British colonialism in history in England. Um,
0: what did you find when you Googled tans?
1: <laughs> it took me a while to find, like, the black and tans and mm-hmm. um, to actually, like, get down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think it is something... It, it's a difficult one to negotiate, like... Um, one of my participants, she was at a wedding and the, the straw boys came.
0: Oh.
1: And she walked in and they were like, oh, you wouldn't understand this. You're not Irish. And she was like, I was like shocked because my whole life I'd been told I was Irish. Mm-hmm. And then here I was being told that I wasn't. And that sort of feeling of in-betweenness is, is really common. One of my participants once said to me, he's like, I feel like I'm the Isle of Man. <laughs>
0: Like I'm just,
1: <laughs> I'm just loitering in the middle. Like you're not quite English enough, and you're not quite Irish enough. Um, that's,
0: yeah, that's why the Pogues put the raft, the Medusa on the cover of one of their albums. The Sublime Side of in the Lash was the idea yes. kind of like trapped halfway between two lands.
1: Yeah, I really relate to that. I think I think it's something that lots of people find. Like you are, you, you. No matter what you do, you can never be enough for either side. So you kind of have to just. I don't
0: know, fully embraced it. Yeah, and so this was when, I know when, um, when Dean Swift was writing Gulliver's Travels, the idea that Gulliver when he was in Lily Lilliput, felt you know, kind of, that he's too big to fit in, when he went to the, the next place and he was actually too small to fit in. Mm-hmm. That this was his kind of experience of being Anglo-Irish. But obviously being Anglo-Irish is completely different from being of Irish heritage in Britain.
1: Yes. Um, that's something I'm actually writing about at the moment, in the sense that... Um, it's much more acceptable to be uh like american Irish hmm. um like that sort of a thing, and like yeah, it's met with a lot of like eye rolls and whatever in some some instances, but it's it's more recognised yes, whereas um in some ways Irishness as we know it today um particularly when you say like obviously a lot of the like visible indicators of of irishness are are very much driven by the diaspora. Um, and like celebrations of St. Patrick's Day and Irish dance in the GAA, a lot of that and the popularity of that stemmed from trying to sustain Irishness in resistance to Englishness. Yes. Um, and so when you're in the in the position where you're sort of, it's very difficult to be something, to be both of something, when one of them was generated in many ways to resist the other, Yes. Um, and like, as I said, there's not even really a word for it. Like, what would you be? Because Anglo-Irish is not the same as being both English and Irish. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a weird, a weird little spot to be in, I guess.
0: It's part of the fact that maybe um, Irish Americans became a political lobby, and became yeah. a kind of a, an electoral force to reckon with in a way that maybe Irish people haven't been an electoral force in the UK in the same way.
1: No Irish people in the UK have been very much absorbed into Britishness in the sense that they're a white population. There's a lot of work on the invisibility of Irishness uh, within British society. Um, mm. I think part of that is potentially problematic because during the Troubles were were the Irish invisible in our in British society? You can question that, but on the whole, it was. Um, I talk about it in the sense of, like, everyday colonialism. I think a lot of what goes on within the relationship between Ireland and the United Kingdom, specifically England, is, like, a colonial hangover. Um, Even just the way that Ireland is spoken about sometimes by people in the British government um, is very derogatory. Um, And, like, oh, well, you know, we have to watch out for those Irish people, like, as if the Irish don't have their own government. Um, And... I don't know, it, it's hard then negotiating that on a day-to-day basis because it wasn't until 2011, for example, that white Irish was an option on the British census. Really? Um, yeah, 2011. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the first one. It was either 2011 or 2001. Other than that, it was, I'm sure it's 2011. Um, you were white British or white other. Oh. So you, you couldn't even express that you were Irish in in your ethnicity uh, before then which seems like madness but that's the way it was so in many ways within within Britain the Irish are sort of like absorbed in other than like oh you know they do their fun little Irish games and Irish pubs or whatever and it's in some ways quite reductive of Irishness as an independent country I guess.
0: And this is this is something that does happen. That Irishness is is yeah, it's seen as almost a, a recreational um, a recreational identity. Yeah. In your research, did you come across the phenomenon of I guess Irish people maybe being actually seeing the the news in England and in, in a way that doesn't go both ways, and that Irish people are, um, I guess, no with conversations, particularly around Brexit, and particularly around those those conversations where. There was a possible disagreement between the two countries that um, Irishness was spoken about in a way that by politicians who didn't realise that Irish people were listening.
1: I think it, it didn't like come up in my research in that way, mm-hmm. um, but it was expressed by my participants like a frustration with the fact that, like David, I think it was David Davis who said you could spend pounds in Dublin. Like you've mm-hmm. never said you could spend pounds in Paris. Yeah. But that wouldn't happen, and I, like a lot of people I spoke to, I think a lot of the reason why they felt more Irish after brexit was in was in opposition to those sorts of um dominant discourses that were coming out of the British government um at the time um because I do think as you say like news like British news gets reported in Ireland much more than Irish news gets reported in in Britain I don't think people necessarily realize that that it is reported as much as it is and that there is such an understanding in Ireland um, and there's there's huge ignorance in England like just the amount of people who who don't know that the Republic of Ireland isn't Southern Ireland
0: yes <laughs>
1: like it's it's Mm. not
0: how it works. A part of me reminds myself to um, be a little forgiving in the way that a lot of Irish people be very sensitive about those kinds of remarks about saying Southern Ireland and Southern Republic, but they would refer to anyone from the Eastern European uh, bloc countries as, oh, Poland or somewhere, or (laughs) Polandish. And they will refer to a lot of uh, African countries as, "say I I think they're Nigerian or something, and they will lump a lot of countries together that they don't understand very well, um, and that we are Guilty of it as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it, I think it's a wider issue than just, um, just like Irish and English, obviously.
0: But it does at the same time, though. I mean, there's, I mean, two countries right next to each other with a similar uh, significant language and cultural overlaps.
1: Well, but in and, such like in like interrelated histories, I think as well. Like, I think that that causes a lot of frustration within people that i've been speaking to like it's just i don't know just make i think it makes them more defensive of their irishness in a way
0: yeah i can, I can imagine so and yeah it would have to something that um, when you've in your research you, you identified maybe two groups of maybe two kind of large groups of, of passport applicants the yeah. uk-born passport applicants as do you want to tell me about those um
1: we talk in uh the ethnic apologists and pragmatic yeah. cosmopolitans. Um, yes. yeah so this this is uh, this is not my idea this is put forward by uh, Woods and Gilmartin. Um but it's basically the idea that people applying Irish passports after Brexit fall into these two broader categories. Um the pragmatic cosmopolitans who are like you know I need freedom of movement. I want to be able to go work in France or Germany or Spain like it's very based around European rights and holding on to those European rights which obviously you can access by having Irish citizenship because therefore you're then a European citizen. Yeah. Um, and then there's the ethnic apologists, are so a bit like, oh, I am Irish, I've always been a bit Irish, you know, like uh, we went home for the summer and I like Tato and uh, <laughs> those, those sorts of things. Um, and they're more apologetic about the fact that they're accessing their Irish passport. They're a bit more like, no, no, like I, I am Irish rather than I just need to be able to access... European rights um, uh, which is a bit more like pragmatic
0: mm-hmm. Yeah exactly so it's, it's closer to the Americans who threaten to move to Canada every year
1: Yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh yes there's a version of that everywhere and and then so and then you and then you did talk about can you know, research as well these these groups came up and this is obviously something that you you're not breaking your ground here there's obviously if there's a, a bit of research and that's been going on
1: mm-hmm.
0: how long is your bibliography
1: oh i don't even know yet i've just got <laughs> i've just got like references all over the shop i open new documents all the time i'm like oh there's another list <laughs> <laughs> or just like my list of things to read gets longer every single day <laughs>
0: That's the that's this is the thing. it becomes uh because it's it's kind of almost viral. It's certainly um exponential the way the more you the more research you do, the more you realise you um you gotta do. And you yeah. just you're just doing a bit of research and you think you're all through it and then you see a book referenced in a book you're reading and you think, God, there's a he's he's referring to like nine pages there. What if, what's in those nine pages? like I've got on yeah. that book.
1: Well like how have I missed that? And like particularly like obviously at the moment I, we can't access the library and I'm like there's hmm. <laughs> all this knowledge locked away somewhere that I'm like oh well hope I don't need that <laughs>
0: it's given people kind of a tiny taste of what the, what doing this kind of research was like in the old days when you actually did physically have to travel to a, li- a different library to get a different yeah. book and whereas now I mean, in Ireland we've got a, a phenomenal library service now where if the book exists you can order a book any book that's in the any library in Ireland through its interlibrary loan system and and that it yeah it effectively will will cover everything as well as having all these audiobooks as well but now because of the covid that's been restricted it's been a hell of a time for for postgraduate students and just avid readers
1: yeah or even like um like the library is great like newcastle university library props to them they're great but there are some books that there just isn't a digital copy of like Especially when you get to this point where, like, I'm looking for really, really niche books, um, hmm. there there isn't an ebook, and short of them buying the book and posting it out to me, which currently they're not able to do, yeah, I can't access it. And I mean, it does give me a greater appreciation for people who did PhDs before Google, because yes. it's not a world I want to be in. <laughs>
0: oh, no, is that? No, no joke at all but I'd say that back in those days it was, a, it was a trick but at the same time I suppose it was probably harder for people to check check their bibliographies and see if they valid as well. True, and, uh, true.
1: <laughs>
0: when we talk about kind of hierarchies of Irish identity this is something I know that that's my wife is from Northern Ireland or the, the Four four bit of Ireland, as opposed to the three five three bit of Ireland, because you know there's there's so many contested ways of saying whether it's North of Ireland, Northern Ireland, occupied mm-hmm. counties, so forth, and. Hard to strike a balance sometimes. And yeah,
1: very inflammatory language sometimes.
0: It can be very inflammatory, even, even when you think you're being neutral. I, saw, I found that the, the, the mobile phone, kind of uh, uh, international codes, is the safest way to do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can't really deny that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it seems as relatively neutral, but um, she would have her Irishness contested in Dublin quite frequently and be referred to as a Brit and mm-hmm. and being and, and have the, these things and and so sometimes you can, yeah it's it's very frustrating thing to experience but then there are certain things where a guy or she would have kind of a shared experience maybe watching the late late toy show the Rosa Trulley and things like these things and and when a lot of adults appreciate those things ironically or semi ironically mm-hmm. because she didn't grow up watching those she just sees them as bad TV. <laughs>
1: truly was the highlight of my summer let me tell you
0: did you ever play
1: i did not i did not i dreamed of it but <laughs> i couldn't think of a skill
0: Oh, because especially now you can't read a poem anymore
1: yeah no and i i have no i'm not musically <laughs> gifted I, I i don't dance like i i don't i don't have a skill
0: it was very funny a couple of years ago a one of the, the sydney rose band brianna parkins went on to become a guest on this very show, as well as um, working on today on on Ireland AM. She -hmm. spoke out about uh, one of the referendums, we are having the referendum of the Eighth Amendment. and And a few people said, why should we have like a rose of truly, you know, speaking these things, why can't they just, you know, do a bit of Irish dancing and get lost? And someone made the really interesting point that the actual, the concentration of educational qualifications and life skills in the rose applicants was was higher than the concentration in, in our parliament. In terms of the interesting, current, the amount of people doing kind of of, of roses doing postgraduate research or different work, work among in different spheres and language speaking, all those other skills was very very high. But it's just it was dismissed.
1: I suppose that brings you back. to... I mean, I don't want to get into like big feminist issues, but I go on. <laughs> <laughs> it brings you back to like women should be seen and not heard, doesn't it? Like because in a lot of ways, the Rosa truly is a, a traditional sort of.
0: Mm-hmm
1: who is the fairest of them all, competition. And not necessarily given space for...
0: Yeah, not not given space. And I think uh, one journalist described it as, uh, Patrick Frane, who writes the Irish Times, he described it as rather being kind of a measure of beauty, it's a measure of kind of uh, daughter-in-law-ishness.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's, while it's not, it, it's still kind of a very, you know, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a particular kind of male gaze or parental gaze as opposed yeah. to maybe just the, what, maybe a, a traditional beauty contest or a, a different type of gaze.
1: Yeah.
0: And because, yeah, we, they may always make clear it wasn't just a beauty contest, but it was kind of a, a parent and present contest. More, yeah, it's
1: it's very like, what is palatable? like. Um, not necessarily here to hear all of my big opinions and get into big debates exactly. um, which to be fair I, prob- I probably wouldn't have been very good on it I wouldn't have done well so maybe maybe that's a a good thing I never realised that dream
0: <laughs> good stuff <laughs> so so what other kind of experiences of I mean when what other kind of access you mentioned just GAA and Six Nations what other kind of uh, moments did, of, of Irishness did you get to appreciate growing up in Bedfordshire which uh, what
1: well, yeah me myself
0: yeah well yeah i mean was I mean, did you have uh did you have the, the irish goods aisle with take tato, with potatoes in them and things like that
1: no not for not for a very long time that's only a sort of recent phenomenon i remember my mum going out to the shop and coming back being like what a dream what a dream i can get <laughs> yeah. emerald toffees in <gasps> morrison's now um, wow I keep saying Morrisons it's just that happened to be the supermarket that sells emerald toppies over here. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> You're not just advertising Morrisons here. No, know. I'm
1: not. I'm not. <laughs> um but it I we had very little access to that like my experience was um very much like goods smuggled over in a uh, in a suitcase from the home country. Um yeah. which is which is a lot of people I spoke to had the same thing like your granny would come over with like suitcases packed full of YR sauce and Tato crisps, like the Republic of Ireland Tato crisps, because we can get Tato crisps in this country. But they're um, the,
0: uh, the 44 Tato.
1: Yeah. We, we um, sometimes
0: refer to the um, the, you know, the 353 Tato as the Free Stato.
1: The, yeah, the Free Stato. My, um, I got a delivery from the Tyneside Irish Centre last week um, of... Uh, I mean, I got what did I get? I got like Glendalough Gin and Tato Sidona Club. You know the classics. Oh yes. And I put a picture up on my social media, and my cousin was like, "That's not real Tato." I'm like, we, we, "It's really difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult to get to get free Tato in this country, particularly mm-hmm. at the moment because Tato have stopped shipping." <laughs> yes. And that's... my mum is usually my my biggest supplier, and yeah. obviously she's not she's not hopping over as often as she is currently so so no we we didn't have a lot of that
0: because um i know not know was talking about his visits to ireland as a child and he loved silver mints but he also mentioned i think, i'm fairly sure he mentioned brunches and i was like do walls um ice cream not do brunch in the uk
1: what did the, the
0: the brunch being the ice cream with the kind of um weird yellow and red crumbs on it
1: no 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 that's not a thing and you very rarely see um you know, like the not tubs of ice cream, they're like the ones that you slice.
0: Oh, like Viennettas. No,
1: no, 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 we have that, But you know, like just the plain vanilla ice cream that comes oh, like wrapped in cardboard that you slice and you put between the wafers, like an ice cream sandwich.
0: Hazelbrook Farm, the HB kind of classic, kind of just block of ice cream.
1: Yeah, yes. you, you, you don't find that very often. And if anyone listening knows where you do find it, please hit me up. Because... <laughs> <laughs> is the taste of summer is like ice cream
0: sandwiches oh god ice cream sandwiches between two wafers you know, you yeah just,
1: delicious and like you just it's just it's not the same if you have to like scoop it out of a tub and make it into a shape it's not
0: yeah you know, it comes a lot more admin i know that i was talking to the, the lad who runs murphy's ice cream which is um run out of dingle but they have a few outlets around and he said that they they did a sea salt ice, flavored ice cream and mm-hmm. he said some people saying, well what, who has that and he says don't you just love in your summer holidays when you're eating an ice cream sandwich and you can taste the sea you've just had a swim and there's a little bit of salt on your lips and that. You wonder why the ice cream tastes so good after a swim that's what I tried to capture
1: oh my god that sounds so
0: cool it really does because sometimes I think that like, you can taste a little bit of suntan lotion as well but you probably can't put that in ice cream <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, that probably wouldn't
0: go down as well, would it? Maybe not. <laughs> so um, I'm sure there's, there's, there's another part of your research which we haven't. What was the biggest surprise, I suppose, when you were in, in your research and on Irish identity?
1: I think for me, it was um, uh, we, we touched on the hierarchies of Irishness earlier, and I think for me that that was the biggest thing. Like that, in the sense. So when I talk about hierarchies, um, I guess. Um, I've sort of conceptualised it as, like, you have the proper paddies, people who haven't left, they're they're truly Irish, they're committed to the Irish state and living their best lives. And then you have the expat paddies who sort of, like, jump ship, but they're still Irish. And then um, I'm sure most people will have heard about the plastic paddies, people like me, um, who are inauthentically Irish to some. Mm. And then... Like, that I was really familiar with. Like, that's my experience. I I know that. I understand that. Um, I've been called plastic. I've been called tan. I've been called Brit. I've had all of that. Um, But then, like, this, this like, post-Brexit sort of thing where people are now trying to separate themselves from the new influx of Irish citizens who are accessing Irish citizenship after Brexit, um, who potentially have the same heritage as people who have had their Irish passport for a lot longer... Um, but who, like, so the the plastic paddies Hmm. are now, like, redrawing the boundaries of Irishness so that they are separating themselves from this new wave and inauthenticating the claims of these people to Irishness. Um, Probably because, like, they've had their... the authenticity of their identity questioned and contested over and over and over and over again. And, like, people do find that frustrating. And then obviously, as we've said, like when, when that is then reported in Irish newspapers of like people jumping for Irish citizenship and mm. as if it's like really easy, like you just pop down to the shop for a packet of crisps and an Irish passport. Like it. that then inauthenticates people who've always had Irish citizenship and they're trying to mm. distinguish themselves from that. And I think that is really interesting to me because they're essentially policing Irishness in the same way as they've had their Irishness policed. And has been really problematic for them absolutely um or even just the amount of people who've said like since Brexit when they're queuing to get off a Ryanair plane in I don't know on their holiday to Corfu or wherever they're going and they're holding their Irish passport facing outwards so that people don't see that so they're like I am Irish not British um like really really trying to distance themselves from the sort of british exceptionalism that that brexit has come to represent Uh, and i think that was that was really interesting for me
0: that was extraordinary Uh, did you find and um, i'm not sure if this is this was fell within your sphere um, but like when you consider say the the greek community in london or the Mm -hmm. the the, some of the the third or fourth generation italian community in glasgow or some of the other kind of migrant communities in the united Kingdom, they have a similar experience to this or has there been like a, a russian like you know, Greek, Greek passports or Italian passports, or I know, I know some people. I've seen some of my Facebook friends sharing pictures of the new passport they got uh, since Brexit. But is is Irish unique or unusual or singular or even unique in this regard?
1: I don't know like a huge amount about about the others. Like I say, it's not it's not I've researched specifically Irish, mm-hmm. but I think I think the Irish is a bigger thing because of the way. Um, Irish citizenship law prioritises um, descent, yeah,
0: um,
1: and because of the fact, like, there's there's so many people in this country who have an Irish grandparent, like, there's because obviously, as I said earlier, like the, the census data and stuff, like that, we don't we don't have proper statistics on how many Irish are in England,
0: yeah,
1: um, it's hard to say exactly what numbers, but so many people have an Irish granny, like, <laughs> yeah, um, and so therefore, so many people are entitled to it like people who are in my life regularly who are suddenly like oh yeah well my grandma's Irish And I'm like how did I not know that because it's just not something that they ever really explored like they didn't go back to Ireland and they they didn't necessarily engage with it beforehand mm-hmm. um I think it's just the sheer number of like I think it was like a 69% increase the year after, so 2017, I think there's a, a, a 69% increase in passport applications just from Great Britain, like not Northern Ireland, Great Britain alone, yeah. um, which is an insane amount. And I think that's why the rhetoric is so strong around it, um, whereas not so much around like Italian or Greek
0: yeah. or the other migrant
1: communities.
0: That's, that is interesting, all right. And now I suppose that, like, now the fact that Irish people who are ordinarily resident in the UK can actually vote mm-hmm. in a way maybe that the other EU citizens can't yeah. in, in the United Kingdom. Do you see that being becoming a material issue in the future? I have been. I mean, the fact that Irish people haven't been maybe a singular political voice in the way maybe they were in the United States. Do we wonder? Do you think do you, I mean, is is it, is it likely or possible that there's um, the concentrationists in a few areas could swing a vote?
1: i don't know um probably not i I don't think so i think i'd like i'd like to think so i think brexit as like that particular referendum it it sort of went past party lines in many many ways and i Mm -hmm. don't necessarily see that that would transpire to like regular everyday politics um in this country but sure like who knows who knows um as a left-leaning Remain voter myself, I would hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, because there is a huge... Like, so many people I spoke to, they were, I was like, well, like, why why are you so keen to to access an Irish passport, or your Irish citizenship? And they're like, because I hate Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, like, genuinely, that was response. And, I'm like, uh, it, the, the voices of Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage and that sort of very imperial white male sort of Britishness that is very indicative of Brexit people don't want to be associated with it and so in a lot of ways I don't think it's necessarily people wanting to be more Irish I think it's that they don't they don't feel any connection to to that sort of Britishness anymore and that that is how British Britishness is seen currently and and that that doesn't relate to them
0: Oh, it really gets me. I can't believe how young those two men are. I mean, they were both born in 1964. They're both they're both the same age as Keanu Reeves and Lenny Kravitz and Alec Ferson. Uh huh. And so they would have been 20 when Live Aid happened. And like, it's just so. And you, you generally think we people with a lot of these kind of old-fashioned views be very very old, but they're not that old. And nope. they have, <laughs> you know. Okay. And so often people uh, defend kind of some conservative views, of saying, "Yeah, sure, that's 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 how you get when you get older." But like they've always been like this.
1: Yeah, they're not. They're not old.
0: <laughs> and like, and you know, and a lot of it, things happened and you know, the, the op- opinion forming things happening in their lifetime. They took the wrong opinion.
1: <laughs> no, I like they're, they're, it's, do you know, like British colonialism is hugely problematic in so yeah. many. Ways, obviously um and like as you say people who are older do sort of get you get a bit like oh well you know it's what they know that's that's not what these people know it, it's it's what's being peddled currently and and I think it has led to I mean watch me get absolutely crucified for these comments now but um, <laughs> I think it has led to um a normalization of pretty problematic views of immigration and of um, migrant identities and of women and and just minorities in general in our society and like people, a lot of people who are now, particularly because I'm researching particularly like the millennial second generation, so um, people who are sort of 35 and under um, who would be seen as the post Troubles generation? Yes. Um, which I mean, I personally don't think that there's such a thing as a post Troubles generation of Irishness because I think the Troubles and how they came to be are so ingrained into Anglo-Irish relations. Yes. Um, that I, I just I don't think you can like I get called a tan. <laughs> Do you know? Like I don't think you can have a post Troubles.
0: I do think there's two waves of this because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you in that I'm, I suppose I was I was able to old enough to vote in the Good Friday Agreement referendum. Yeah, and I do remember just even from being in college then how oh, the wave of Irish pop music, that new friendly face of Irishness, like the chorus and Westlife and Boyzone, all happened around that time, and there was a cultural oh, wave yeah. that representations of Irishness suddenly became kind of um, cuter, friendlier. There was a little bit. It was. The, the like ten years earlier, the idea of an English girl having a, a poster of a of a of an Irishman on her wall
1: it was <laughs> well, radical.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it certainly was a little ridiculous, and maybe he, a little, he could have been a little bit scary. And that so that kind of um, that happened very quickly, and then you would have had bewitched the idea of of, of you would have had Irish music beforehand in the pop charts from the Clanad and Enya, which you know. Yeah. The idea was it, was it was still seen as mysterious. It wasn't whereas Bewitched were being presented as more relatable best friends. There was a different representation of how Irishness was expressed. And then as time has gone on and then people who fast forward 15, 16 years and people who don't remember as many while the Troubles were still existing and there was still intransigence in Northern Ireland, you didn't have the daily reports of deaths and things on the news. It wasn't The first item in the news wasn't always a tragedy in the north.
1: Yeah, no. I think of, I like obviously like I I was born in 1993. I, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. And obviously I, I don't think I the way I've experienced Irishness is in any way similar to that of people who migrated even in the 1980s or like my my mother like the way she experienced it. Yeah. Um partly because I don't speak with an Irish accent, I'm in I'm an invisible sort of Irish person. Mm-hmm. Um but I I don't think within academic literature, there's sort of an argument of, like, oh, for these people, it doesn't even matter that the Troubles existed, and and I don't think that is the case. Like, as mm. you say, like, yes, culture around Irishness and Irishness is, especially now, like, Irishness at the moment is cool. Like, in this country, like, as I say, everyone wants an Irish granny. Like, <laughs> the, the, the the clear, like, winner of lockdown, if there is one, is, is normal people. And, yes. and, like, in that way, like, Irishness and is, is sort of on the agenda but I, I, I don't buy that, that there's any generation of, of Irish migrant particularly like right now that, that isn't impacted in some way by the relationship between Ireland and England, like I, ju- I just don't think you can get away from that
0: I think you're dead right there, it's something yeah that they, the past isn't even past as uh, William Faulkner no. would say
1: yeah, it's all inherited, like we, we inherit the perspectives of the people above us and history reproduces itself in many different ways.
0: That's right. As as you've seen, it's, you can push a statue into a river, but or into the sea. But it's uh, it's still bubbling under there. <laughs> you can't push it's, the entire <laughs> legacy, though. But it's yeah, obviously it still
1: happened.
0: I could, yeah. Before we, we we before we get to the end, of it, I have to ask your perspective on on the current statue pushing trend.
1: Yeah, I mean, fair play, you know. <laughs>
0: it does seem fun even if the statue is of, an, of a fairly neutral person You get, a, a part of me thinks it must be fun to push a statue into the sea yeah, I mean, yeah, I, exactly.
1: it's like, it is it, I mean I'm like it sounds terrible but I was like oh god I hope there's no boats going around there at the moment I'm like I, there's, someone's going to get a really expensive hole in the hull of their boat which obviously is not the big issue here mm. but um, no I think I, I think it's just a representation like people not being listened to like yeah, and I really don't buy. You see, on on I don't know like on Twitter and stuff at the moment, people being like, "Oh, statues are education." I'm like, I have never learned anything from a statue ever. Yeah. Um, I was in, where was I I think it was in Budapest, and there. This could be me completely speaking wrongly, and I, we went to. They have like a park that has all the old um, like um, iron curtain sort of statues that all got ripped down. Uh, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and they have them in a park and they're all there and you can learn about them I think that is much more useful than leaving it up as a memorial to something as if it's something in in a place that people go to in their day-to-day lives because people aren't looking at them and I don't buy this argument of let's leave up these statues of people who who made their money and their their influence from the slave trade because it's educating people it's not like If you put it in a park or somewhere that people go to in order to learn, that's different. But they're there being celebrated. And I think that's, like, surely we're progressing a little bit now.
0: I'd like to think so. And the big thing is, because we were talking, I was thinking recently about it in Dublin. I suppose we don't have that many statues. We have some. But the big thing is, obviously, there's some street names. And the fact, say, the streets like Westmoreland Street and Mountjoy Square. And most people don't know who those are named after. And if they took Mm -hmm. an investigation, they might say, well, you know, maybe that's not necessarily... Someone whose views are closely aligned to our modern values, but the when we did have a they built a Dublin City Council built a new new bridge a couple of years ago, and they 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 named it after Rosie Hackett, uh, who was a Mm -hmm. union activist. And the discussion around getting who who's the bridge should be named after did lead to a lot of public engagement with history and it it led, led to an engagement led to articles about who this person was it led to people saying well i think it should be about this person and the actual the level of engagement about naming something new was very valuable but once i guess 200 years later the significance westmoreland is just a name people think say without thinking
1: yeah no we had a similar thing with um the pictures on the new notes like oh yes who, whose images should be on the, the new like 5 pound note 10 pound note 20 pound note um and I think like that's a much more active way of engaging a population in history and who someone is. Because as you said, like, I had no idea what the name of the man who was on the was on the £5 note was. Why would I? I just spent it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't got enough fivers.
1: <laughs> I was just absolutely buzzing to get a fiver when I was 10, you know? Oh,
0: God, yeah. That, that's completely. Oh, so yeah. much money. <laughs> and I think it's just that when, after the Civil War in Ireland, there was, I guess, tensions were so high that they made a decision not to put... Plot politicians' faces on on money, and mm-hmm. before the euro, we would have had uh, Queen Maeve on the on the one pound note, and yeah, there was a, I think they they changed them in the nineties as well, but they had would have had various other figures. Yates was on Yates was on a twenty, I think, and and James Joyce was on James Joyce was on one of them as well. I didn't have enough myself, but it it. it there is a possibility of actually using, but statues are still different because naming a street is one thing, but like a statue is being presented. The very fact that you're sculpting, you're putting the person there, you're they're putting them quite larger than life. They're expect, You're expecting people to look at them and go, wow, this person is impressive. You see their face.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like a, a it's a memorialization in like a, a positive way like people don't get statues put up being like this was a terribly bad person let's put a statue up yeah Or right. um but
0: let's consider the the, the the pros and cons of this person's a uh, uh, legacy yeah never
1: no 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 um and so that's i uh, yeah i don't know i think fair play to the people who are going and ripping them down safely preferably
0: Yes, absolutely. You always do you remember your manual handling training when you're pushing a statue. Exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> make sure you're bending your knees before you lift.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and Yeah, and make sure there's no, no, no little, little fishies and frog and tadpoles under the water where you're pushing them to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a, was it, has Cromwell been? No, Christopher Columbus has been moved now, hasn't he?
0: I think so. I, 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 think
1: cr- that, I think I saw that on Twitter before I came on this call. I haven't researched, but I think he's in a pond in Richmond now.
0: And because uh, I know the, um, the in Belgium, the Leopold who you know yes. had very little to recommend him, uh, and we actually have, um, yeah, we, we we discussed him recently in our in a show at Belgium. Um, yes, we um, he's he's been given a given a, a bath as well,
1: <laughs> given his marching orders.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And um, uh, before we let you go, we love to ask all our guests what their favourite Irish word is.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I have a really really boring one. So. Uh, like, my experience of Irishness in Ireland is very much connected to Ryanair planes and landing in either Dublin or Knock Airport. Shout out to Knock Airport, what legends. Oh, yes. Um, and for me, I think it's probably Fulcher because that that was me being home, and that meant that, like, I don't know, like, back in the day, you come out of Dublin Airport and out of the arrivals gate, you'd hang a straight left and you could get hold of your club and your tato. And get your Irish soda bread and vegetable soup, which is my number one most favourite meal in the world. So, yeah, Yeah. vulture.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Neve, where can people get in touch with you and find out more about your research?
1: Um, Twitter. My handle is just Neve Lear, one word straight. um, And uh, there, of my pinned tweet at the moment, is a presentation I did for the British Association of Irish Studies uh, conference. Um, and if you go onto their Twitter, there's some really, really amazing Irish research that's being done by people in Britain right now, and you should go give it a watch because it's all really good.
0: Fantastic, and we will put those links in the show notes as well. Um, Perfect. Leary, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'll hopefully, I'll be back soon because that's just fantastic. <laughs> we barely touched the surface.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Always willing to have a chat.
0: <laughs> Great stuff. So, until the next time, it's a salon from me. Mind yourselves. Bye. That's our episode for this week. Thank you so much, Neil Lear, for being such a brilliant guest. Motherfucker comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I can't wait that long for your next podcast fix. There are other shows on the Headstuff Podcast Network, such as Pints of Malt, which goes into the experiences of growing up Nigerian and Irish in Ireland. It's well worth checking out. If you want to contact the show, the Motherfuckler Show, you can contact us at motherfuckler at headstuff.org. Brian is our producer, Kirsten Shield does our art. If you want to record your own podcast, you can contact Headstuff and the podcast studios. The details are in our show notes. And as we said at the top of the episode, the continued production of The Fucker is made possible by the very generous support on Patreon of certain listeners who also will be able to access bonus content if you want to join them. The link is in our show notes to Patreon. Until the next time, Slang go This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Please.